You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 17, 9. Um, Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anybody about the vision until the human one is raised from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's sing the reprise of more light. Thank you, Jeannie, for reading our scripture this morning. So when you go on a pilgrimage, the journey begins the moment you decide to go on the trip. A pilgrimage is a sacred journey that often contains a moment of transformation, a moment of change in our faith, of growth, of encounter with the divine. Now, in the Christian faith, there are a few traditional places where people will go. Some folks will want to walk the Camino de Santiago in Spain. Some folks will go to the island of Iona in Scotland, and others will visit the monastic community of Tizay in France. For some native Hawaiians, known as Kanaka Maui, the mountain Halekala is a place of pilgrimage. As one ancient story goes... The demigod Maui journeyed to the crater where the sun was asleep, and Maui used his lasso, and he caught the sun, and he made him promise to move more slowly through the sky, thus creating a long summer season. Now, For those of you who have seen the Disney film Moana, you may be familiar with this little piece of folklore. Native Hawaiians respect and honor the sun's energy as the source of all life. 
This ancient place is called Alehe Kala, meaning the path to call the sun. In ancient times, only priests were able to walk on the summit of that mountain because that was a holy place that belonged to the gods, because that was the place where they lived. In modern times, this place is preserved by the U.S. National Park Service, and it's a popular tourist attraction. A few years ago, my spouse Greg and I had the privilege to travel to the island of Maui, and we made plans to visit Haleakala National Park. Now, not every travel adventure is a pilgrimage. For us, this was a vacation. We were fortunate enough to be on our way to visit family in Oahu, and we had enough air miles that let us stop in Maui for two nights before going on to see our family. At the airport on Maui, we were met by the owner of a Jeep that we had rented, and this Jeep was equipped with a tent on the roof. And we had planned to drive up the mountain and camp overnight in the park so that we would be just 30 minutes away from the summit in order to see the sunrise. The National Park Service requires a reservation because this is such a popular tourist attraction. So we had our reservations all set. The folks who choose not to camp have to get up between 1 and 3 a.m. to take their tour bus from their hotel up the mountain. I was really excited because I love camping. I was really excited because this was my first time to Maui. And I was really excited that because of the six-hour time difference, when we woke up to see the sunrise, it would actually feel much closer to 11 a.m. for my body. So that was fabulous. But imagine my disappointment when we drove up the mountain we could only see about three feet in front of us because there was incredibly dense fog. It actually made for quite a nerve-wracking drive because there are so many twists and turns up this mountain. Well, we got up to where the campground was, and we decided we wanted to check out the summit in the hopes of maybe even seeing the sunset that first night before we would go down and set up camp. So we drove all the way up past 10,000 feet in elevation. And there, instead of three feet in front of us, we could see a whole 10 feet in front of us before a wall of fog prevented us from seeing anything else. We checked the weather forecast. It was going to rain all night, and there would be more fog in the morning. It looked like our tickets for the sunrise were not going to be honored by the sun that weekend. Since we knew we wouldn't be able to see the sunrise, we decided not to camp in the rain when we drove back down that mountain and we camped at the beach that night. We had a moment of disappointment on our vacation. But what would it have been like if that was a spiritual pilgrimage? What would it have been like if it was hundreds of years before, if we were native Hawaiian people who had walked up the mountain, ascended over 10,000 feet in anticipation, not just of a beautiful sunrise, but of encountering God. Would we have stayed there at the summit for days on end, awaiting the sunrise, awaiting that divine encounter? Would we have left disappointment, feeling like we had somehow failed in our attempt to connect with the divine? Or would the journey itself have still opened my heart to encounter the divine presence, even without seeing the sun? 
Would it have been enough simply to stand at that summit that looks so different from the land below? The land below is lush and verdant. The land at the summit looks like another planet. There are plants called the silver sword, which grow there and atop three other mountains in the Hawaii island chain and nowhere else on earth. Would I still have found the divine on that pilgrimage? On a pilgrimage, the pilgrim is pursuing the divine. But the good news is that as we read scripture, we see that God is also pursuing us. And God often shows up in places that we do not expect. And God often shows up in ways that we cannot anticipate. Our gospel lesson from Matthew tells us about a pilgrimage led by Jesus. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and he brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. In scripture, divine encounters often happen at the top of a mountain. If we think back to the story of Moses encountering the divine and hearing the name of God was atop Mount Sinai. I wonder, as Peter, James, and John began their journey with Jesus up that mountain, if they went with a sense of expectation Did they think that God was going to show up that day? They had been journeying with their rabbi, Jesus, for quite some time now. They had been following him from town to town. They heard him preach. They heard him teach. They watched him perform miracles. But did they have any idea that his divinity would be revealed to them? They expected their rabbi to be wise, They expected their rabbi to know the scriptures. They might even have anticipated that he would have a gift for healing. But did they expect Jesus to be divine? To be truly human? (coughs) And also truly God? Did they see that the divine was with them all along and that at the top of that mountain they were only going to see him as he truly was? Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. But Peter didn't know what to make of this and so he blurted out, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Then just a moment later, a divine voice comes from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. The shining Jesus, Moses, Elijah, the cloud, God's voice. If there was ever a case to be made for sensory overload, this would be it. And then, just like that, it's all gone. Suddenly they look around and they no longer see anyone else with them except Jesus. And Jesus was just plain old Jesus. No more glowing, no more shining 
No more epiphanies into who he really is. Peter, James, and John saw him just as he was when he began the hike up the mountain. An encounter with the divine cannot be fully explained, despite the best attempts by authors and artists and composers. An encounter with the divine is a moment to be savored, but it is not a moment that can be saved. Peter can't do anything to prolong his sense of awe or wonder at what happened. He wants to build a shrine to hold on to it, but he cannot make the experience last any longer, and he can't fully comprehend. His instinct was to want to cling to that experience for as long as possible, to mark that space as sacred. Did he want to mark that space just so that he could always remember what he encountered? Or was it so that he would have a place to lead others to, so that they too could go on a pilgrimage, and that they might also encounter the divinity of Jesus? Up until this moment, it's likely that the disciples didn't fully understand that their human rabbi was the incarnation of the divine, the eternal Christ, the word, the logos that we hear from the Gospel of John, the Christ who was present at creation, the divine who was, who is, and who always will be. But for just a moment— On the top of that mountain, the disciples caught a glimpse of the glory of God, and they saw the majesty of Jesus' divinity. We refer to this as the transfiguration of Jesus, not the transformation. Transformation implies a change, but transfiguration implies a revelation of true nature. Jesus is not changed on the mountain that day. Instead, he is simply revealed. His true nature is shown. The divine Christ is made clear to those disciples. For followers of Christ today, we might easily think of Christ's divinity. It might actually be easier to think of him as divine than it is to think of him as fully human. But for those disciples on the mountain, they knew his humanity well. They walked with him, they talked with him, they ate meals with him, they laughed with him, they witnessed him living a fully human life in first century Palestine. His divine glory was not on display, even though it was always present as they journeyed with Jesus. But on that mountain for just a moment, Jesus didn't change. Instead, he was allowing the disciples to see him as he truly was. The transformation that happened was in the disciples. It was in them as they encountered the divinity of Jesus. I wonder what the hike down the mountain was like for those disciples. Were they quiet, lost in their own thoughts, trying to make sense of what happened? Did Peter come up with other ideas that he thought sounded great? Did he pester Jesus with questions? Did the mystery begin to make sense? Or did the mystery deepen? Their journey with Jesus was only halfway through at this point, which we know because we know the end of the story. We know there is still a long road ahead to Jerusalem, to the cross, and to the tomb. 
But as those disciples were in the midst of their life with Jesus, they had no idea what was to come. I wonder in those days how often the disciples revisited that moment. As they drifted off to sleep at night, were they comforted by recalling this moment of transfiguration? Or did it keep them awake at night, trying to think and wrap their minds around the mystery of that divine encounter? Humans are designed to make meaning of what we see in the world. We like to tell stories because they help us make sense. The day that they went to the top of the mountain, the disciples encountered a mystery. And so often in our lives, we don't like mystery. We want clear answers and a clear path. We want a story that helps make sense of the infinite. These days, we're struggling to find ways to make sense of the world. Are we living in a post-pandemic era yet? So much of life is never going to return to life as we knew it before COVID. Many of us are still fatigued from the emotional, spiritual, and physical stress of the last few years. We carry grief from the death of loved ones, grief from missed milestones celebrating life events for our community, we never quite got that celebration, that one final service in the building with the choir singing and all the people who wanted to come back for the last service. We made do with what we could, but we never quite got that celebration we talked about. And of course, these days, for the United Methodists, we carry the grief around the destruction of the church connection as churches vote just this very morning to leave the denomination over issues of inclusion. If there was ever a time that people of faith longed to encounter the divine, today feels like it to me. But when we get to that summit, do you think we'll find a beautiful sunrise or encounter nothing but fog and rain? Metaphorical mountaintop experiences are important in spiritual life, but we cannot rely upon them in our daily life. We cannot strive to go from mountaintop to mountaintop, always seeking the next mountaintop encounter with the divine. Even the saints and mystics who we associate with ecstatic experiences of God did not encounter God that way continuously. They had mountaintop experiences, but then they had the time in the valley, the time living real life, without the brightness of God being revealed. They had moments that some would call the dark night of the soul. That's the phrase that St. John of the Cross used to describe his time of darkness and searching for God in the midst of everyday life. Modern teachers of contemplative prayer urge people not to keep striving for those mountaintop experiences, but they emphasize the importance of showing up to prayer day after day, simply seeking to spend time in God's presence. We are still drawn to those glorious moments at the top of the mountain, but the reality is that we live our every day in the valleys of life. And that's why throughout this series, 
We have looked for those moments of light and love, particularly in this time of the year when so many struggle with depression and sadness. We have looked for light in music, in laughter, in community, and in kindness. This is the life in the valley. It is not the life on the mountaintop, but it is the moments of God's grace that are revealed to us in our everyday living. When Jesus... Peter, James, and John came down from the mountain, and they got back into the valley. They encountered brokenness, suffering, confusion, and helplessness. There was a little boy with severe epilepsy. The other disciples who had stayed down in the valley while Jesus was on the mountain, they had tried to heal that boy, but they couldn't. Only Jesus could, and so he did when he returned. And he told those disciples, and he tells us, that with just a little bit of faith, we can accomplish things down in the valley that seem impossible. The story of the transfiguration helps us to see that we don't have to go on a village, on, on a pilgrimage to the mountaintop to encounter the divine. Jesus was revealed to be fully divine there, but when he came back down to the valley, he brought his full divinity Even though it was not clearly seen by the disciples, it was there. Jesus re-entered the everyday world filled with pain and chaos, and he continued to journey with those disciples to Jerusalem, to the cross, and to the tomb of resurrection and new life. And Jesus invites us on this same journey with him. We may be blessed to occasionally have those glorious mountaintop moments, but for the most part, we live in the valley. We see the brokenness around us, but the good news is Jesus is with us, and he can make all things whole again. Those spiritual mountaintop experiences prepare us for life in the valley, and it is in the valley that our faith is shaped where our faith is built, and where our faith is lived out. And thanks be to God that it is not only on the mountaintop that we encounter the divine, but we know that the same Lord who is Lord at the mountaintop is also Lord in the valley. Thanks be to God. Amen.